0: To Acts 6. And this message comes out of the Wednesday night meeting, thoughts about the Wednesday night meeting that we're having, and looking for your approval, your support for an ordination this year. And I was just doing some pondering about what happened in the book of Acts. And how there was a plural ministry. So if there would be a title for the message this morning, it would be the value of the plural ministry. It can take some different directions than that. But I'm going to look at the value of a team in leadership. The value of us seeing the need of having structure in the church. So I've turned to Acts chapter 6 where the deacons were, were chosen there. And I'm going to read... Uh, can I change my course here? Can I go to Numbers first? Let's go back to Numbers chapter 4. Let me give... Acts 6 is where we're going to go for at least part of the message. But, you know, in our setting, we have had the three-office ministry and in the old testament they also had more than one person in leadership different times remember moses and his group people that were called to help him because the load was too heavy in numbers chapter 4 numbers chapter 8 numbers chapter 18 i was taking a look at the levitical families responsibility and the divisions in the levitical families there were four sons of Levi, and so there was four different groups, and they had four different responsibilities within the work of the tabernacle. And in, in Numbers chapter four, the first four verses, it was speaking about Moses. The Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, "Take the sum of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi after their families by the house of their fathers." from 30 years old and upward even until 50 years old, all that enter into the host to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. And then he goes through in that chapter and gives the responsibility of the Kohathites, which were to take care of things in the tabernacle. They were to take care of the holy things, the Ark of the Covenant, and they were to take care of the, the table show bread, etc., but then further on, we have the Girgashites, which were the brother, it was a brother to Koheth, but that group of people was given the responsibility for dealing with the curtains and some of the coverings of the tabernacle, and when they moved it in the, in the desert, they had to have people who were in charge of certain things. And then we had the Merarites, and these were to carry the pillars and the bases and the frames and the pegs and all of that. And then we have the Aaronites, which were the priests. So we have here all of these being Levites, but not all these being priests. So all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. So if you look at a picture of the tabernacle and a drawing of how they had things arranged, you have the the Kohathites around the one border of it. You have the Gershonites on another border, you have the Merarites on the other border and Aaronites on the other, around that tabernacle because they each had responsibilities for the work of the tabernacle. Okay? Now go to Numbers 18, or Numbers 4 is where we were, Numbers 8, and then 18. But let's go to 8, in verses 24 and to 26, 23. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is it that belongeth unto the Levites. From twenty and five years old and upward, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. From the age of fifty years, they shall cease waiting upon the service thereof, and shall serve no more, but shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of the congregation to keep the charge, and shall do no service. Thus shalt thou do unto the Levites touching their charge. So apparently they had some ages here that they were looking at for being a part of the, the uh, team, and uh, the one, it looks like they started at 25 and went till 50, but in, in this one here it says that they were in a kind of a advisor role afterward, but they couldn't continue to do the heavy lifting and part of it, and I'm not going to read Numbers 18, but Numbers 18 gives some more of the charge of the priests and the Levites, and and the portion that they were to get and all of that. My point going back there before going to Acts is that in that setting, there was a system of leadership. They had built a leadership team that carried through the when they were in the wilderness. And when they get to the temple, we see that King Saul and, and David and Solomon also had a structure. We get into Acts, we don't have exactly how all that structure is supposed to be as far as leadership, but we definitely know that there was leaders chosen and ordained, and in Acts chapter 6, we have the first ordinations in the church, and so I'm going to read that first part here. Acts chapter 6, and in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business." but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and Philip and Procurius and Ninonar and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now think back with me on the day of Pentecost, what happened? The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and 3,000 people were saved. You talk about need for leadership, here's 3,000 people, okay? What would we do if 3,000 people walked in here on a Sunday morning and we had to divide up and have Sunday school classes, okay? What would happen if we had what this church had, 5,000 people now in Jerusalem, and here we have the apostles who were trying to do the teaching and the preaching of these people? And remember, Jesus had chosen those people. Jesus had handpicked those 12 disciples. And I went back and checked this morning again. It doesn't always say they were disciples. He says they were apostles, true disciples, yes. The scriptures go through and talk about them as being the 12 disciples. But even Jesus, it says... In, in the recordings in Matthew, I was there this morning in my devotions in Matthew, but also in Luke, it says that they are called apostles back there. I was trying in my head think, you think, know, when did they first get the name changed from disciple to apostles? Well, that straightened it up for me. Okay, But literally, they became people who were sent out. And that's what the word apostle means, one that is sent out. And so we have in the beginning of the church, the 12. Remember, Judas wasn't among them because he had had committed suicide. And they ordained another person so that there was now 12 again. And those were the leaders of the church until this chapter right here. And here we have now the six that were ordained. So now we have 18 leaders, right? No, it says seven deacons, right? So it had 19 leaders. So here they are. The plural ministry is well established here. And as we go through the book of Acts, we see different times where they were told that they are to ordain elders within the church or people within the church to do the work of leading. If you think about the first hundred years of the church, they were setting precedent. We don't have a lot about how they chose their leaders. We know at Acts 1, they used a lot to choose the 12th disciple or 12th apostle. We don't have a lot about how they structured responsibility. But in Acts 6 here, we have that there was a differentiation between the physical and the spiritual. And the deacon was supposed to serve and make sure that the physical needs of the congregation were met. I don't know how you do that with 5,000 people, with seven men, okay? But there was an attention given to those needs. And so the others could pray and teach. That's what they ordained the deacons for, so that they, as apostles, would still be able to focus on praying and teaching. So we have the first hundred years of the church, we call it the apostolic age, Okay? And the apostles were one who saw Jesus, who were taught by Jesus. And we don't have a a title like that in the church today uh, because it doesn't fill that definition of having seen Jesus or having been taught directly by Jesus. We do know there's some others that got the title apostle and by definition of one cent, it fits. We call our missionaries apostles one cent. We call people one cent. We call them apostles. But we kind of keep that name. That name's been kept throughout church history as for the 12 disciples mainly. Because they were in charge of passing on the doctrine that Jesus had taught them. And they were responsible for establishing patterns within the church that became foundational. So we have the first hundred years as the apostolic age. And John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, would be the one that died last, according to history. And he's the one that did not die by martyrdom. He died a natural death. He wrote the book of Revelation. It's thought around A.D. 96, So here he is as a last of the apostles in the apostolic age uh, considered to be finished. But we have throughout those years different titles that have come up. And here we have deacons that come up. We have titles like presbytery that come up. We have titles like elders or bishop or ministers or helpers or even teachers. And so we need the involvement of many, many people to have the church function. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that, that the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ being the cornerstone. And so when we think of what the prophets taught us, they taught us The divine things from God, the apostles heard the divine things from Jesus, and we have Jesus as being that cornerstone by which everything is built, looking back at who he was. So Ephesians uses that and gives a visual of a building and statement there that there is a foundation of Christ Jesus, but there's also a cornerstone of Christ Jesus, and there's a prophet's teachings, and there's the... Apostles' teachings, and those are things that have been the foundational uh, building of the church. And so we look at the book of Acts, and we see here things that were done for the first time, some of them. And it doesn't give us that everything has to be done just like the book of Acts. I started writing an article one time for a, a church paper uh, Can we live? like the book of Acts. And I didn't get it finished because I ran into some glitches in my own thinking about how that would look. Do we expect everything to be like the book of Acts? He doesn't give us all the specifics like they did with the tabernacle, how to run church, but there's definitely the need for leadership. You know, if we'd go by the we'd go by what they did in the tabernacle, um, well, we're not going to go there. We, we're not going to go with what they did with the tabernacle. Uh, we, can, we can say that there were reasons that God had given them the prerequisites for being in leadership and also giving them the responsibilities that they were to, to have. So we have deacons in the church. If you turn with me to Acts 11... We see here in verses 22 through 30 that there's helpers in the ministry. Barnabas is sent out, and later he calls Saul to help. Let me read those verses. Acts chapter 11, verses 22 to 30. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus, for to seek Saul, and when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. We have an Acts 15, which we don't refer to or go to, but about apostles, about the elders, about the leaders that were chosen that came together to give direction for how to bring the Jewish people into, uh, or excuse me, the Christians into Now, let me start again. The Gentiles into the church. The Jewish people were the first ones that came into the church, and then they had a question how you bring the Gentiles into the church. And there was some decisions made there in Acts 15 by the apostles, by the elders, by the helpers, and so on. In Acts chapter 14... Verses 21 to 25, X 14, 21, jumping in the middle of a missionary journey here, when they had preached the gospel to that city, had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Atalia and then sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he'd opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. So he's talking about the elders. And there's other places in the scripture which the same word is used for bishop. And so we have that as one of the threefold uh, offices of our church church to have someone that is a spiritual leader, more an administrative role. And we have that there's people in Timothy and in Titus who served in those roles. I don't know if you ever noticed at the end of Timothy, there's a little footnote in most Bibles that says that Timothy was the first bishop of Ephesus. Check your Bible right now. What's yours saying? 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, at the end of my Bible anyway, it says Timothy was ordained the first bishop of the church of the Ephesians. How many of your Bibles have something to that effect at the end of it? Okay, so it's obvious that Paul was writing 1 and 2 Timothy, and he was He was getting his replacements ready here and he ordained Timothy as the first bishop. Now we're right close to Titus so we could go to the same with Titus at the end of that and mine at least says it was written to Titus who was ordained the first bishop of the church of the Cretans. How many years have that? Any of your Bibles have that at the end of Titus? No? Okay, some do, some don't. So history records that Titus was the first bishop that was ordained for the island of Crete, the Cretians. So we have this, that there was a, a leader chosen to give some oversight. There were elders, there were ministers, there were deacons. And we have in Titus, in Timothy and in Titus, we have the... Qualifications for being bishop and for being deacon. Doesn't have qualification for being minister, but it has elders as bishops and it has the deacons. So it apparently carried on. It wasn't just that it was a one-time thing in Acts 6 where they ordained deacons, but that there was a, a ongoing and there was qualifications given for that. I know in Timothy and Titus, Paul's trying to pass on as much as he can at the end of his life to these young men to preach, to be faithful in the ministry. And he talks about a little bit about church organization. He talks about the role of women in the church. He talks about Christ as the mediator between God and man. He talks about them remaining faithful and sound doctrine, the inspiration of Scripture, warning about false and apostate teachers, He's, he's giving them opportunity to hear from him and to take up the, the challenge of being a leader. Now, I don't know how much time Paul and Timothy and Titus um, had to work with each other. I don't know that. But in our setting, we try when we have a person that's old enough to find a replacement, ask to find a replacement, we have a time where they work together to try to bring some some continuity to the work. I was looking back at the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Remember God told Elijah, he said, I want you to throw your mantle on Elisha. Elijah was in a time of discouragement when God told him that. But he went and he found Elisha and he threw his mantle on him. And if I have it right, if you follow through the time frame, he had six years to work with Elijah before he saw Elijah ascend up into heaven. I never knew that before. That was new to me. I went back and was checking the dates of that and the best that I can put that together. There was six years of them working together before God took Elijah up, and Elisha was to then carry on. It's not saying it has to have that time frame. I'm just observing that. And I'm observing also in Numbers there where the priests were to get out at a certain time, and they were supposed to bring in the younger men. And um, that was powerful in, in carrying on the work of the church. So I listed some benefits of the plural ministry, some things that I see in my years of being in the ministry, and the trust that we can continue to keep that pattern. Because I think it is something that is, is uh, shown in Acts, shown in the writings of Paul, and that it has benefited the church. It's brought stability to the church. It's brought continuity to the church. So I've listed seven different things here. One, the responsibility is spread out. You know, it's a lot of work to uh, provide for your family. And we don't have a paid ministry, though you do well and thank you for your offerings that you gave. We, We thank you very much. But there's a lot of time that gets spent in providing for family and there's a lot of time spent in preparing sermons and in church administration and going to meetings and all of that. Uh, I've talked to young men who've been just overwhelmed with that, men in the ministry who just been overwhelmed with that. But they don't need to take all the responsibility themselves for everything when there's more than one in place. And I remember the first years of my ministry when I was swamped with with, uh, school teaching and and starting a family, and the minister says, you don't need to do much visitation. We'll take care of the visitation in the church. And the ministry that was over me was was, uh, willing to pick up certain things that I didn't know how to fit in my schedule. And gradually, they allowed me to fit in and to move to places where it would work for our family. And some things had to be changed in our lives. Some responsibilities had to be given up elsewhere to do it. And so, you know, as we bring new men into leadership, we need to give room for that adjustment of time. And so the responsibility can be spread out and it helps us to be more efficient and effective instead of just being burnt out right away. Number two, there are variations of gifts and abilities that contribute to the work of a plural ministry. You don't want to hear me preach all the time. I don't want to preach to you all the time because there's needs of people from the other uh, from other methods of preaching that you need and I need. We need the evangelists. We need the people who are the prophets. We need the people who are the, have the gift of mercy. We need all kinds, and that comes through when there's a plural ministry. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing, the variation of gifts and abilities that contribute to the work. We need to recognize each other's gifts and use them to perfect the saints. Thirdly, the benefit, a benefit of more than one in leadership is that congregation experiences Variety in leadership styles when there's a problem or when there's something that needs to be uh, planned ahead. Some people want to have it all planned out. Some people want to fly by the seat of their pants. Okay, so we're all different. And so we have a variety of of methods of of leadership. Congregation experiences that variety. And when there's different circumstances, we try to ask whose personality in leadership would fit that circumstance. It's interesting what we talk about at minister's meeting about who's the best one to fit in for this certain visit or this certain responsibility. Number four, there can be a broader and varied diet of sermons, which I mentioned. Number five, it's really a safeguard to the brotherhood. There's safety and plurality. Uh, We talk about in the multitude of counselors, there is safety And so that's valuable as we think about having a plural ministry. We all have flat spots. We all have blind spots. And we all need the other to help us to see through that. And I think the plural ministry minimizes the problems that my flat spots, someone else's flat spots in leadership could create. Number six, plurality brings continuity. Continuity. Should one leader become incapacitated or die, things can go on without great interruption. And that's the blessing of planning ahead and trying to build in that there would be a, a three office ministry or at least have a, a plural ministry set in place. And then, number seven, the benefits of more and one in leadership is there can be training for the younger by working with the older. So this morning, I'm just thinking ahead of Wednesday night's meeting and I'm thinking about the question that's gonna be asked of you as to whether you uh, can support an ordination for this year and that we can set up some steps for that to take place. We need to keep the younger ones coming along. We need to have that as a part of our vision for the church. And then the people that are in leadership need to find their place, do their job in their place, and um, stay in their place, I guess you would say. Let's pray. God, thank you for the blessing of the church and for the way you have led in Lakeland Mennonite Church in bringing leadership on board. We have this meeting on Wednesday night, and I pray that Your will would be done regarding it, and I pray, Lord, that the church uh, ministry team could be built and that we could continue to see your hand at work as the gifts of each one become evident. Thank you for this congregation of people and all the responsibility that each of them have. I pray that they each would take their responsibility seriously, and Lord, that we together would be what you want us to be as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.